0: Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Tai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles. Define your own success and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to Coffee with Romina podcast. I hope you guys are having a tremendous and a fabulous day. And welcome to our show. If you are brand new to Coffee with Romina podcast, welcome, everybody. And if you are one of our loyal listeners, well, welcome back. We are super duper excited to have you back on our show. Today's episode, actually, it's a very special one because today's guest is Rick Franze, you guys. And he is one of the nation's foremost expert on CEO peer groups. And on this interview, as a matter of fact, we talk about the CEO mastermind breakthroughs, how you'd be able to collaborate with CEOs in the same industry or different industries and how you can do so by collaborating ethically. And if you actually have a business conflict, how you should resolve it. So we touch base on a lot of important business matter. Therefore, I highly suggest you to stick around and listen to the full interview. But I do have some housekeeping stuff that I want to remind you guys. Number one, so numero uno, definitely make sure to go to connectwithromina.com to subscribe to our website and always stay up to date with everything that we have going on. And as a matter of fact, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to wherever you're listening to this podcast from. If that is Apple Podcast, go ahead and give us a five-star review, you guys. Another cool and exciting news is that the online course, it's launched as of yesterday. So the sales love averages, mastering the sales funnel through sales and negotiation techniques, you guys. The course is available online. It is for sale. I'll put all the details on the show notes because I definitely don't want to take too much of this interview. I want you guys to definitely enjoy it. Go ahead and contact Rick. Tell him that you listened to this podcast and you definitely enjoyed it. And absolutely, as a matter of fact, check out his podcast and radio show as well, The Critical Mass Radio Show. Let's get right to it. Enjoy! Hi, how are you doing today?
1: Good, Romina. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm blessed. Happy Tuesday. I'm excited to have you on the show. And I definitely want to pass on the mic to you to tell us a little bit. How did you go about going at the career that you have right now?
1: So I spent 20 plus years in the corporate world working for Fortune 100 companies. And i got gotten to the point where I thought I'd always wanted to be, which was the boss. I was president of a wholly owned subsidiary of one of the companies that I had worked for. I was in a mastermind group for CEOs of manufacturing companies. It really helped me. I had my MBA from Pepperdine University, but when I was promoted into being the president, I had never been the president of a manufacturing company or any company to that point. So I sought out places that I could go to learn from others, and I discovered these CEO peer groups, mastermind groups. And so it was actually through that process, I was there for seven years at that company. I remember it like it was yesterday. We were in a retreat held by the guy that was running these mastermind groups. We were in Santa Barbara. It was a beautiful sunny day. We're sitting in the conference room. And like a lightning bolt, this idea hit me that I'd rather be doing what that guy is doing versus going back and running this manufacturing company. So I went home, talked to my wife. Uh, it was the time our kids were just about to go to college? Not when your financial planner says, Leave the corporate world and you know, become an entrepreneur, but I was so compelled to do it that I uh, turned in my resignation and I've been on this journey for the past 13 years of leading these mastermind groups here in Orange County, California.
0: Do you ever regret it?
1: Uh, not now, no, now? I'll be honest. I left the corporate world in 2008
0: Ooh. at the front
1: end of the Great Recession, so there was. A lot of soul searching in the first few years about, did I make the right decision? And um, it's tempting to go back and get a job and get a paycheck. But I'm so glad that I didn't and i persevered and built the, uh, the organization and the community that I now have here in Southern California.
0: So the masterminds that you create, it's with CEOs and it's with different industry CEOs. So as much as you might be running a different industry, sharing common practices, successful tips and tricks, do or don'ts, it's very important. So why, should, why do you think we should always cross, cross information between industries, try to help one another? Because sometimes you're kind of like, if I'm in pharmaceutical industry, I want to stick only in this so I can, you know, exceed my competition and do better than my competition. But what's the pros of kind of crossing those together?
1: So, uh, in my first book, which is titled "Critical Mass: The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups," it's the first book that was ever written about why tens of thousands of CEOs around the world join these mastermind groups. I write, and I believe today that uh, a CEO should be in industry trade associations. You have to know what's going on in your industry. You have to actually be a thought leader in your industry and be connected to all the major trends that are happening, so you don't get blindsided. Mm-hmm. But I also know. That, and I write about it in my book, you need outside perspective because, you know, industries are, they read the same trade pubs. They listen to the same thought leaders. They create the same podcasts. It's, it can become self-fulfilling and being in a room with people who are in different industries who are not competitive to you can really help you to get what so many people want, which is a breakthrough idea, is a game changer, practice and Business practices in one industry may be totally foreign to another industry. The opportunity to have people question your answers and make you think deeper about your assumptions can really help to unearth new ideas and a new perspective that can generate breakthrough thinking. At the end of the day, these are smart people. 70% of business is common. So there's a lot, I mean, a lot of CEOs who think, well, a manufacturing company wouldn't understand my professional services, and why would I, you know? But what they realize quickly is once they get in the room, many of the things that they have to make decisions about are common, whether mm-hmm. it's employee relations or taxation or government regulation or dealing with COVID nineteen and the PPP and the rest of it is transferable very much, and they learn from each other.
0: So there is a, a collaboration between all the CEOs on this masterminds. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the power of collaboration, because sometimes we're like, I want to make it you know, by myself. But it's like if you join forces, you can go higher. So is it easy? Is it not easy to collaborate sometimes? like,
1: Well, well, no one is as smart as all of us. Right. So having a room full of intelligent people who and what's unique about the mastermind community is the people that are in the room are voluntarily there. Mm-hmm. They're there to learn from each other as well as to help each other. And they truly have nothing to gain from what the other person, the other CEO decides, which is really unique for a CEO to be in a room full of people who actually want nothing from her or see no benefit in how he decides. That's very hard to get in in business world. And so surrounding them with smart people who actually learn to care about each other and only want the best for each other can really create this one mind, if you will, of thinking that Mm -hmm. can help people to solve a problem. In my first book, again, I talk about the powers of the peer group. One of them is magnification. And I've seen this over and over, over 13 years, the ability for the group to think deeper about a topic than the individual brought it, who, who brought it, and their management team were able to. And the other one, of the other powers is illumination. I actually have seen the peer group through the methods that we use, they illuminate, identify new ideas and new avenues that the business leader, CEO who brought the topic hadn't thought about even with their brain trust of senior leadership and executives. So the collaboration aspect is really unique because it's such a unique place for these leaders to get to where they're surrounded by people who like them, but really don't want anything from them.
0: How about when you collaborate with somebody that is in your industry or close to your industry, how can you make that collaboration as selfless, but parallel with it, you're aiming for a selfish goal?
1: Well, you know, I I, I call that, and I didn't coin the term, coopetition, where you have competitors who are cooperating as long as they're not violating any antitrust or whatever. But at the end of the day, some pretty um, interesting partnerships can develop from companies who are maybe adjacent to one another in Mm -hmm. the space. Uh, I think we're seeing that right now here in the US with the rollout of the vaccines and how the different pharmaceutical companies are kind of working together to make sure they have a coordinated effort to get as many vaccines into the population around the world as possible. If they all try to do that individually and they're only driven by their own selfish profit motives, I'm sure uh, the different governments would have a difficult time coordinating the distribution for the vaccines. But because Moderna and Pfizer and the other ones are all sort of working together for a common goal, we're going to achieve something much faster than any one of them could have done if they were solely siloed and trying to do it on their own.
0: Is there um, like a kind of like a pros and cons list that you think people should also make whenever you kind of look into do a collaboration with somebody else? Or is it like, yeah, let's join forces, so let's just go for it?
1: no i think you have to certainly weigh some factors and the first one is how much do we trust this partner you know sometimes in competition we breed distrust we're in a maybe in a scarcity mentality or mm-hmm. we're in a zero sum if you win i lose and if you sense that the other person the other entity has that characteristic to them it would be better and my advice is stop stop it if you don't have strong trust, especially when you're working with someone in your industry who may be a competitor or at least adjacent, uh, you're going to have a very difficult relationship with them. It's been my experience. No relationship works well without a foundation of trust. And so if you're going to enter into something that I call co-opetition, collaborating with people who are competitors, you have to really understand and believe what they're saying and they too have to believe and trust you and if you sense there's not that or it could erode over time better not to get too involved in it because it will end up being wasted effort so once you pass the trust threshold and you believe you have trust it's really imperative that you think about what do you want to get out of this and what do we want to get out of this and how together are we going to get it more likely than if we do it individually and in that time there can't be any hidden objectives because if there are Uh, That starts to undermine the trust. And you may not be able to structure an agreement that allows you both to get really what you want from this relationship and this collaboration because the the other party isn't being truthful and and fully revealing to you kind of transparently what they hope to achieve. And that comes from tone at the top. Successful collaborations have to start with the CEOs of both companies believing this is a good idea And being willing to sort of overcome the natural inertia that exists within the ranks of their people, because while the CEOs may see the strategic synergy, Mm -hmm. there may be people within their company who see this as a threat and may try to either overtly or covertly sabotage the the collaboration that happens within the two organizations.
0: So let's say the two organizations are going, everything is going great. Everything is aligned. And then that's synchronous, uh, that synchronization just kind of breaks somewhere in between there. How do you, how, what do you do to deal with unintended consequences with gratitude and professionalism and not necessarily, you know, burn bridges long-term, but also stay grounded. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a really great question. And there's, um, So the saying, uh, you don't want to win the battle and lose the war comes to mind, Ramina, as you say that. So you went into some type of this of this collaboration with a very compelling reason because Mm -hmm. there are risks to it. And um, I write about this in my third book, um, Killing Cats Leads to Rats. The unintended consequences come when two parties have different values or have different goals. And you have to, as a leader, you can't set it and forget it. You can't walk away from the synergy and the cooperation. As I said, tone at the top, staying involved within the process and reminding the teams for the higher order goal of why we're spending this extra effort and sort of encountering this risk of collaborating is for a shiny city on the hill that we can't get to on our own. And maybe it's an opportunity to totally redesign the industry. So that comes with some risk. So the the leader's role after the strategy has been set is to monitor it in a positive way to let the rank and file know this is still something that's on her to-do list. It's still a priority for the corporation or the company, and we're going to execute it to the best of our ability.
0: And I know you keep mentioning also your books, which for the listeners, I'll go ahead and attach the information on the show notes. So if you guys are lazy and you know don't really want to type those up, it's on the show notes, you guys. It's just a click away. That's all. Not too much. <laughs> um, now let's talk a little bit about the Critical Mass Radio Show. You've been doing it for over eleven years, and recently it's also on the podcasting platform. How did the idea even get started with this? Because uh, it's been eleven years. It's you know it's a gr- big exposure as well for your own consulting firm.
1: Right. Yeah, our twelve our twelfth year anniversary will be in March. Um, so uh, the idea came when I wrote. Critical Mass of 10 Explosive Powers, the CEO of Peer Group, my first book. My PR specialist was getting me a number of interviews to talk about the book. One of them was with a lady, Deborah Sweet, and it was on a podcast, a radio show. It was. I never met her, but she called me and we did it. I guess we did it over the phone or maybe we did it online. I don't remember. It was in 2008, frankly. And um, when it was over... I thought, I really want to do something for Deborah because she gave me 20 minutes to talk about my book. I so much appreciate it. And I thought, wow, I would like people to feel that way about Rick Franzi in Orange County, California. Maybe I should start a podcast radio show and uh, have people feel the same way about me because I believe in the concept of reciprocity, that people want to do back, give back to people who've given them something of value. And so it really came from that moment in time when I was with Deborah Sweet and realizing the emotional connection I had to a person that I never met. And truth be told, when I went to college at the University of Pittsburgh, I went to be in radio and broadcasting. So during my five years of college, I was on the radio show. I was a disc jockey and an announcer. So the idea of starting a radio show as an adult didn't scare me at all because yeah. I had done it for years.
0: How did that help you on, on growing exposure for your own business?
1: So, so the goal was to build goodwill, positive karma in my market by doing people something that they would value and appreciate. What I hadn't recognized was over the years, um, how much easier it was for me to meet really good people. I was just talking with a gentleman today who is publishing a book next year. And he quotes me in the acknowledgements because I suggested that he be on my radio show. And from that, I suggested that he write a book about what he knows and now here he is getting the book out. So my Simon Sinek wise have a positive impact on the people in my life. And that that's an example of how the radio show allowed me to be a positive impact for Kent, because he said, he remembers when he met me at lunch, I said, i have you on my radio show. And he was like, that doesn't happen every day. So it made connections a lot easier for people in a, in a noisy space, in a noisy market. But I also personally have learned quite a lot, like I'm sure you are, from listening to your guests and having them share their experiences with you, which I, I had never anticipated that I would get stories and relationships that would transcend um, the moment in time when I would do them something that they thought was valuable.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I say it all the time for mine. Like a year and a half, I never thought I would be where I'm at right now. I started the podcast because I hated my job and I had anxiety from my job. And here we are yesterday, actually marked one year anniversary. I quit my corporate job. So.
1: Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. That's a big, that's a big move.
0: It, it's a scary move, but a lot like healthy, much healthier, go chase your dreams. You guys just do it. Just, just make that jump. Just, just do it. That's all I got. I can say um, to my, People that want to open their own podcast and grow their own expo- exposure and you know ex- make new connections. My biggest thing is make sure you do research on the individual you're going to interview if you're going to do interviews style, and make sure you um, you do your research properly, your introduction calls, and everything like that, and stay professional. What are your some tips that you would say since yours are also interviewing? So maybe we can help somebody out there launch their their baby idea.
1: Well, you did a very powerful thing, which is earlier you sent me uh, an agreement that allowed you to use the interview and in all your platforms. I think people too often in the rush to get product on the air forget the importance of sort of protecting themselves and their business. And um, that simple act of what you gave me and I signed and returned to you, I would suggest is a requirement for anybody who's interviewing anybody else and they want to use their images, ideas, etc. cetera. Um, On their own platforms so that's great your whole process has been uh, very professional we had a you reached out to me through a common connection that we have we had a phone conversation where you were engaging and interested you set the tone for how we're going to do it you've prepared in advance you've reviewed with me the questions i feel comfortable knowing where you want to go in the interview i also recognize the time that we have and how much time i have to answer the questions. so it's been um there are. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts since I've been in the industry for a decade plus. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are having dis- not interesting conversations that they are calling podcasts, and I think that's unfortunate. A little bit more effort and pre thought, and and taking it professionally makes all the difference from a guest perspective. Yeah. Than if you just show up and we just start talking randomly.
0: Yeah, no, I need to, I need a plan. <laughs> I a woman with a plan. I need to make sure we know what we're talking about. You know, if my name is attached to something, I need to make sure it's as close to perfect or perfect as possible. At least that's me. And I think if we try to shoot for that, even if we don't learn to perfect, we'll learn to good. So I think that's a, that's a good way to kind of look at things typically in business or in life. <laughs> Now, I want to ask you, um, before we go to the closing questions, I want to ask you a little bit about entrepreneurship, because you've been launching your thing since 2008, you left corporate world. uh, We're in 2020, the interview is happening, you guys. So it's a lot of years. And entrepreneurship, a lot of people are like, you know, you know, be an entrepreneur, do this and do this. And experiencing yourself firsthand, sometimes you're like, do I really want to do this? It gets lonely, sometimes or it gets overwhelming. Have you ever had that lonely moment out in your entrepreneurship journey and if you did how did you overcome it
1: it was one of the biggest adjustments i had to make when i left the corporate world to become an entrepreneur because when you're president of a 70 million dollar company with a lot of employees and stuff you're always in demand and you didn't i didn't really have to worry about my week i know i'd have more to do than i'd have time to do it and in the early days especially in 08 09 if i wasn't putting the energy into the business there was very little energy coming back from the business. I had very few clients and nobody knew me. And And so one thing that I learned uh, very early from being an entrepreneur, from being a successful uh, executive is if it's going to happen, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And you can't rely on anybody. You know, Part of the reason why I left the corporate world because I wanted to bet on myself. I thought if I was my main employee, we'd get a lot done. But what I didn't appreciate as much is that I was my only employee. And if it was going to get done, I'm everything. And that's a bit daunting when you're used to sort of being able to delegate. And so being an entrepreneur has tested me more than at any point when I was in the corporate world at levels that I wasn't really prepared for. But I am so thankful that I had gone through that soul searching because to your earlier question about you ever think about going back to the corporate world. Yeah, there were moments when I thought life would be easier if I just got a paycheck rather than everything I eat, I have to get myself. But on the other side of the success is that last barrier. And I find many times entrepreneurs run out of mental gas right before if they could just push through that last wall, maybe the piece of cheese they've been looking for is on the other side.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then you're gonna, you know, just be chasing home with my cheese. <laughs> yes. Uh, who is your role model? Where do you like? Where do you find your inspiration and your like? Who Who is your role model to push you through everything?
1: Well, you know, I am in multiple CEO peer groups. I have been in groups longer than I have led them, and I've continuously been in groups since I was back in my corporate days, and. Many, I'm in one group in particular, and we're meeting on Monday, it's virtual. Um, we've been together for 11 years, um, the core group, we have newer members. But those gentlemen and ladies know me from a business perspective better than anybody uh, because I've been vulnerable real and you know we've rode the ride together. And um, they, I constantly leave that group more inspired than when I went in with ideas that I didn't anticipate. Sometimes I go there, I always go there with a specific ask. We call it a round table question. I have this challenge or opportunity, let's think out loud about it. But just by being with these folks, I pick up ideas that I hadn't intended. And so that group, uh, Glenn Perkins, Jim Neidhart, Dave Taylor, Peter Broiler, Tom Krekel, they are, Uh, partly my muse and partly my accountability partners. From an author's perspective, there are so many great authors out there that I highly recommend um, people. That's why I do my LinkedIn Live. I I interview authors. Um, I like Marshall Goldsmith a lot and uh, I'm not a part of his coaching organization, but I read his books and, and, and whenever I get something from Marshall, I know it's worth the time to invest in it. Seth Godin is another person who I find... Uh, uniquely positioned to deliver me information that I can resonate with, and so if you haven't read any of Seth Godin's books or his work or blogs, watch his videos. That's Again, if you'd rather just watch a video, Google him and watch a couple YouTube interviews with him. He's outstanding. And finally, there's a gentleman here in Southern California by the name of Brian Elliott. He puts together uh, events, at least he used to, now they're all virtual. Um, He he really does thoughtful interviews with different people. I always learn from watching how he interviews people and try to model some of my interview techniques on, on the way he gets them to unearth things that we can all use in action.
0: I ha- I definitely have to check that out because that's the more I can learn about interviewing style, the better I can improve myself too. So thank you for that one. And for the audience, I feel like everybody should just kind of hear this episode like twice because those are shorter episodes, you guys, and just here for the second time to kind of digest all the information because we're covering a lot in a short period of time. But if the the audience does have a question or wants to connect with you directly, Rick, where can they do so?
1: I love LinkedIn and I am Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's where I'm doing my positioning. That's my main platform for content publishing now. Um, I really have tried to make LinkedIn sort of my, my website, putting all my contact information, et cetera.
0: And if somebody wants to hire you or if somebody's like, this information is great, but I want to know if I can be their client, like what would be your ideal client?
1: Thank you. Great question. Um, the people that join my community run businesses. They are the top executives. They have profit and loss responsibility. So that's, that's kind of the first place you start. The company size ranges. We have members who have companies with as little as five employees, and we have people that have hundreds of employees in the community. So size of business, it's inconsequential in many ways. It's really more that the person who comes can make the decision and execute because they're the profit and loss responsible person. The most important part of it is the psychographic piece. And the psychographic piece is how the person is wired. They have to be open to getting feedback from people. They have to want people to disagree with them when it's appropriate. Not being disagreeable, but as again, we question your answers. So people have to be comfortable doing that. And as I tell every new member, I just did this with an onboarding call yesterday. You have to tell us everything. If you want us to help you with a a challenge that you're facing, you have to tell us everything including the things that make you look maybe less than perfect. Because yeah. if we don't understand your contribution to the challenge, we're not going to be able to give you advice that you can action positively.
0: You have to have 100% transparency. Yeah, that's very important. What's, uh, what's a new and exciting project that maybe you're working on that you'd like to share with us? I'm sure you're not just going on your day-to-day basis. You're always working towards something.
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, you asked me about the ideal customer, and I told you about the top executive, the CEO program. We're launching here. So I'm a part of an organization by the name of Renaissance Executive Forums. They are a global organization headquartered out of Lima, Peru. We believe that connected and involved leaders can be a positive force in the world. And we're extending our brand beyond the CEO. And I'm launching here in Southern California, a mastermind group for CFOs, Chief Financial Officers, it is a program that Renaissance globally is rolling out, and I would like to, uh, ha- I will have a group like that here in Southern California as well. CFOs are usually the right-hand person to the CEO. They tend to be the uh, the tr- most trusted confidant to the CEO, and many times they are the heir apparent to the CEO in the larger corporations. And so, um I really am excited. I'm working with some ambassadors here in Southern California to attract CFOs who want to be groomed to be more prepared to take on the next logical step, which would be the CEO's position.
0: Awesome. And my uh, very last question, which I have to say, this is my final question and like my favorite question to ask to people: What is your definition of success?
1: You know, I. This is fantastic, I appreciate you asking, mean, It's not an easy question to answer if you wanna answer it transparently with vulnerability. And over the years, I have uh, questioned that myself. What is success? Um, and it's evolved as I'm later in my career, I have two grown children and they have young children. My wife and I have been together for 30 plus years. Uh, for me, my definition of success goes back to discovering my why, which was done through the Simon Sinek process which is to be a positive impact in the lives of the people that I encounter, not just at work, but in, in my personal life as well. And so I feel successful when my friend Kent told told me, I wrote this book, Rick, because you suggested that I do it. And he's really excited about it. and It looks like an amazing project that he's developed. So it's a lot of small wins, Romina, throughout the day, the week, the month, the year, that tells me that by my focus, I have the ability to positively impact people's lives.
0: Oh yeah. Especially like we need to digest and celebrate those small wins. Cause that's how the big picture, the thousand piece p- puzzle gets created by small, tiny pieces. Cause if we ignore those, then we're just like missing pieces when we have them. So we have to do so. Thank you so, so much for being a part of the show. Any last thing you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh,
1: only best wishes for a successful 2021. Um, I'm studying the roaring 20s in the U.S., the 1920s. The parallels between where we are right now and 100 years ago are eerie. You know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it leaves footprints. Mm -hmm. And I think we have uh, the opportunity to learn from the robust economy that happened in the roaring 20s, not only in the United States, but in many other parts of the world. I think we have that opportunity again in 2021 and maybe for the rest of the decade
0: awesome thank you so much and to my awesome listeners i'll go ahead and again attach the information how to connect with rick to linkedin all his book information you guys on the show notes my lazy listeners just one click away and if you guys actually want to see how pretty we look because now we're doing video interviews too go ahead and hop on youtube on facebook and our website so you guys will be able to see the video interview of this podcast thanks so much rick for being with us This podcast is a 67 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.